Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Jazz United, our WBGO podcast with yours truly, Greg Bryant, host of Jazz After Hours on WBGO. And Nate Chenin, editorial director at WBGO. We like to get together and talk about uh, what's on our minds and happenings in the musical community. And this week, uh, we thought it best to talk about uh, back in the club, back to gigs. Things are opening up. People are in the streets. Musicians are on stages. It's happening gradually, but uh, man, it's happening. Hallelujah and amen. All right. <laughs> after, <laughs> after a dry season, a long, long spell away from, away from these gigs uh, and many anguished calls right for a return to normal that's right uh, we have been we've been seeing a, a return to form in some ways live music is back but with an asterisk right there are some complications there are some caveats there are a few more than a few unanswered questions but the fact remains um, musicians are back out on tour mm-hmm. they're back in the clubs and people like us are coming out to hear them it's true. It's true. As a matter of fact, um, we've teamed up to see a couple of things uh, during this pandemic uh, safely. And uh, most recently, one of the gigs we saw indoors was the relaunching of the Blue Note during their summer festival this year. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, Robert Glasper took the stage before uh, a sold out audience, man. Um, Jahi Sundance was on turntables and sounds. Vicente Archer on the bass. Uh, the drums of Justin Tyson, who we heard at the top of the show as part of the uh, R plus R equals now, also recorded at the Blue Note. But uh, Mr. Glasper at the helm of uh, his grand piano and uh, keyboard uh, put on a master class in mastering the moment. Um, man, I, I don't want to get too far away from uh, how weird it must have felt for you. For you, I know it felt weird for me to be in a room with folks. <laughs> oh, yes. But yes. that music was magic, man. It absolutely was. And so much of it has to do with Robert Glasper's ability to tap into the mood of a room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, I, I feel like you think about the jazz artists who have historically been been really good at at making people feel good. Um, I think of Glasper as a continuation of a tradition that flows through Dizzy Gillespie and James Moody, um, Mm. and Cannonball Adderley, right? Um, he's, he's, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna make you feel, um, like he's too cool for school or like, you know, and it's funny, it's not as if he plays down to any, anyone, you know, I mean, the level of musicianship is stratospheric, but he makes you feel like you're in on some kind of a secret language, you know, um, whether you are a seasoned listener, like, like the two of us or somebody who just thought it would be like a really cool night out. Um, it's really, it's, it's something, but beyond his presentational abilities, um, I think you, you said it, there was just incredible telepathy on that stage, you know? Yeah. Um, some of it is this long standing relationship he has with Vicente Archer. The two of them, I think, uh, they can do no wrong when they're together. Um, but then it was also this, this sort of hybrid presentation. It's like, um, an acoustic core, but with the turntable, um, you know, 
Jahi Sundance was not just an accessory on this gig. Oh, no. You know, it was really, oh, no. he was really a fully integrated, a, 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 an equal partner on that bandstand. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very cool musical experience. Um, and I know you felt the same way. In fact, it was so good um, that I didn't even feel too bad when you later informed me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that I saw the first set on Friday night. And in the second set on Friday night, there were a few uh, a few hop-ons, uh, a couple yeah. of guys by the name of of Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock joined wow, the band. That's right. Uh, and I didn't even know about that till you told me. And and I had a, a, a quick twinge of of uh, you know F O M O, quick twinge of feeling like I'd missed something. And then I yeah. and then I very quickly said, Nah, I'm good. Like what I saw could not be improved upon. So yeah, you know, I did miss something, but I didn't. Right, right. Oh, man, it was it was really a moment. It was really a moment. And I won't forget those shows. Uh, For me, it's kind of a full circle moment uh, at the Blue Note and with Robert Glasper, too. I've seen him uh, several times, uh, but coming up here to WBGO to uh, complete my interview and audition back uh, the Halloween week of uh, 2019, I caught the experiment, but it was different this time around. The experiment was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But um, hearing this electroacoustic ensemble again capture the spirit of what was in the room, the uncertainty that was there, uh, the cautious you know, toe dip into coming back to gathering together under a roof, listening to music, man, it, it, it was like they, they didn't miss a beat. It was like they, they had never been on you know, an extended break or a high attempt. Yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. were really hitting on all cylinders. Um, there was breath in the music. Of course, there were chops, but man, the way that they laid out um, their order in their in their band language, it just seemed to really capture um, that that spirit of wanting to really get back to live music again. And I, I just mm-hmm. he's 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 evolving in his musical wisdom, and it's just awesome to behold. You know, if you're listening to this right now, you can hear in our voices just how excited we were to experience this this moment. And some of that, uh, I mean, a, a good portion of that is to the credit of Mr. Glasper and his and his compatriots. But there's a, there's a, at least a small part of it, probably more than a small part, that has to do with our own experience, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is true for both of us. Um, but I'll speak for myself. I grew up in clubs. And when I say I grew up in clubs, I literally mean I was a toddler sitting at the bar, sipping a Shirley Temple. That's real. uh, In a nightclub, (laughs) you know? I like that. Um, I like that. That is, in in a lot of ways, the club is like a natural habitat for me. And and during the course of my time as a jazz critic, um, many a week went by where I was in a jazz club five, six, seven times a week. So this is one of the reasons... um, you know, and Crimea River, there were bigger problems over this pandemic experience than, than, you know, a lousy jazz critics inability to see jazz in a live club. Right. Um, but I mean, it was really, it was very disorienting. And so Mm. there was something about walking into that club where I've been probably a couple of hundred times. Right. And being walked through the room to my table and, 
in, and that familiar feeling of like, oh, I, I guess I'm going to get to know my uh, my table mates here. You know, it's a little tight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my uh, I, I actually went with uh, the producer of Jazz United, our man, Trevor Smith, and it was his first time in a club and it was our first time hanging out in person. Um, and the whole thing felt simultaneously deeply familiar and comforting because mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like a reflex to to walk into that club and and say hi to the staff and um, you know make small talk with the manager. But it was also so weird. It was deeply, deeply weird um, because here we all are. We have been so careful. We have been yeah. so um, conservative in you know many of us. I know you have. I know I have. Mm-hmm. And I walked into that club. I'm fully vaccinated. I said, all right, well, I guess this is, I guess this is what we're doing now. You know, I walked yeah. in, took my mask off, sat at my table. I never put the mask back on, uh, during that set. And, um, and we have since learned a few things. Um, and, and I, I don't know that I, in fact, I, I can say I would not do that again right now. Um, hmm. I hope we get back there, but you know, it, it's, um, it's just so weird. The, the the ground is constantly shifting beneath us, right? It really is, man. It really is. Um, it's crazy to think about, you know, the unpredictability of um, this virus and its, you know, variants and vaccinations and not wanting another shutdown, but almost feeling like there may need to be another one um, for a variety of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Knock on wood, we can get through this summer. But uh, yeah, man. I'm actually headed down to my native city, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to perform on stage again. And I'm having some anxiety um, between you and I and, you know, the thousands of people that are listening to us right now. Um, and and <laughs> it's really, to be honest, yeah, it's it's not playing music regularly, um, but but that's really the, the, the least of my worries. You know, when I get with the guys, it's going to be all right. You know, um, mm-hmm. when I get yeah. with Dara, it's going to be OK. But just that whole scene about like, you know, wearing a mask. Yeah, I'm probably going to wear my mask. Um, there's going to be a, a barrier between, you know, m- me and, and music that, you know, didn't exist, you know, a year ago. And just that whole scene of who's been vaccinated in the club and who hasn't and what are right. our safety protocols and do I bump fists all night? You know, do I just go in the back and hide out, you know, after the set? I really don't know, but mm-hmm. it'll be an experiment, man. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I had a conversation about this with, um, with Jabali, Billy Hart and uh, oh, shout nice. out to 2022 NEA jazz master, Billy Hart. That's uh, right. Uh, Salute. One of the best pieces of news we've received recently. Um, but I, you know, I talked to him before he went in and played the first village Vanguard live stream. Okay. And, and he said something that stuck with me, you know, um, first of all, he said that that not playing music for all these months, he almost felt like he didn't know who he was anymore. Mm. Um, you know, such a so much of his mm. identity was wrapped up with the idea of playing music in front of people, right? Yeah. And he and then he said, um, you know, this is I don't know what this is going to be like, but it's going to be okay because I'm going to be with my guys. You know, yeah, um, we're going to be playing music ag- together again, and whatever else is weird or off. Like, at least I'm going to be with my guys and the music will be, will be here for me. And I, 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 
I wish that for you, Greg. I, I hope that's how things go for you back in Nashville. Um, Thanks, man. You know, uh, and and you know, so much else is is out of your control. So it's kind of like uh, you have to flow. You know, and I don't want to uh, double down on your anxiety, but it, you know, it's worth probably stating some of what we've uh, learned in just yes. the, the last uh, you know week or two. Um, there was a there was an electronic festival outdoors, um, mm-hmm. a Dutch electronic festival called Verknipt. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm. Um, and they required proof of vaccination, but it was a 40 hour window. Um, wow! And you know, a lot of the people going to that festival were in the mood to party. Um, and so within that 40 hour window, some stuff happened. And at the end of the day, the festival uh, attendees. Um, there were a thousand new cases of COVID-19 um, from that, that festival yeah. outdoors. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a little after that, we got word that the, um, the drummer, Jerry Gibbs mm-hmm. um, went and played uh, a gig at a club somewhere outside of New York. Yes. Um, he didn't want to name the club because he didn't feel like uh, he didn't want them to, to get any repercussions, but Jerry is, is fully vaccinated. Um, but he felt a little bit of peer pressure as he, as he recalls it, uh, to remove his mask on the bandstand. Um, and subsequently he got a a positive, uh, he tested positive for the coronavirus, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with his full vaccination, he, he contracted COVID. And so, you know, these are the considerations that, that are before us. And, you know, we were not worried about that so much on the, on the weekend that, that you and I went to the blue right. note, you know, we, we kind of felt like, all right, we're vaccinated. We're inoculated. We're cool. So this is a, a you know, uh, as with everything else around the events of the last, you know, year and a half, we, you just have to, you have to go with the available information and, and make, make your decisions right. accordingly. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, and, and as you point out too, you know, uh, not every situation is the same. And we know venue wise, there are still some New York area venues for our music, uh, that have not opened their doors yet. Uh, the right. village Vanguard being one of them, uh, smoke jazz club, uh, is another They're They're kind of cautiously waiting. Um, I don't exactly, uh, know the anticipated dates of return. I'm hearing different reports, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they will be able to, uh, resume activities, uh, safely. Um, in the fall, at least, because, yeah, we, we miss them, too. And, and when they decide it's right to come back, you know, no peer pressure from us or anyone else. They're doing the right thing for them. So, you know, shout yeah. out to, to those two places. Yeah. And there have been clubs that have taken a sort of in-between approach, like the Jazz Gallery, which uh, has been open to a limited audience in recent weeks and has announced that they will return with full capacity after Labor Day. Um and so, you know, we are looking forward to that with a kind of cautious optimism, you know, um, w- again, we're in that situation where from one week to the next, the, the, the feeling and the, and the sort of risk factor feels different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one club, um, and I'm smiling as I say this because, mm-hmm. uh, the tenacity, the chutzpah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of smalls jazz club, um, Spike Wilner has, uh, has kept smalls basically open through thick and thin 
um, there was a, oh. you know, as soon as he was able to reopen um, with limited capacity, which, you know, in smalls is, is quite limited. Uh, he went ahead and did so. And, and uh, I was really impressed, Greg, because you, you made it out to smalls quite a while ago. It was early in this whole process. Um, what, what happened there? Um, my nerves got the best of me and I had to get out of the house, man. So I <laughs> got in the car and, and went down to, uh, the village and heard some amazing music. The first time I went was actually October 15th. I'm looking at it now of last year. And again, this is, um, one fourth capacity. So, you know, smalls is already small. We're talking about, you know, 10, 15 people in there as an audience, we saw uh, the Dave Kokoski trio do a tribute to McCoy Tyner, which was especially poignant, knowing that mm. we had lost McCoy, not to COVID, but we lost him last year, nonetheless, in the physical. But man, the spirit was high that night. Um, Jonathan Blake was on drums, Joe Martin. And shout out to uh, Joe Martin, uh, one of the hardest working uh, bass players uh, during yeah. this pandemic, man. Um, he, he's been, been, been doing some, some great stuff and it's been a pleasure to hear him in action in several groups, but David Koskoski, uh, really, uh, he, he made the roof get, get out of the way, man. It was like <laughs> an open sky <laughs> jazz church vibe, man. It was yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that that night either because yeah, there were 10 of us in the room. Uh, everyone was making sure that we were safe, uh, that we were accounted for. That they had our contact information in case anyone did test positive. There was contact tracing. Um, yeah. Spike and his staff went to extra lengths to make sure that we were safe in there. And there were vibrations in that music, I know. Um, and we are fortunate in that uh, Smalls documents these encounters. So True. why don't we teleport to that, that room um, and join uh, Greg Bryant and his and his very hip patterned face mask uh, in in that basement room in the village, uh, October fifteenth, twenty twenty. David Kokoski, and also I stepped across the street maybe um, several months later after the turn of the new year as Mesro was first relaunched, mm. and I heard its proprietor in action, uh, Spike Wilner with his trio. That night, uh, Tyler Mitchell, his regular bass player, but uh, sort of a ringer on drums, uh, the redoubtable Mr. Joe Farnsworth, and there were fewer people uh, even in Mesro, as there weren't as many sanctions at the time. But, you know, people were still tentative about, you know, getting back physically in a room 
hearing music. But again, um, the spirit was high. Um, and just to hear Spike do what he does in the language of this music uh, brought smiles to all of our faces. I'm sure that the energy had to have been impacted by the proprietary feeling, like literally to, to you know, to witness the owner of the joint um, making, making music in a room that he has fought tooth and nail to keep open, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of that expresses itself in the music one way or another. Knowing that you heard Spike in that room and, and have been to Mesro and Smalls, you know, at a time when not many people were making it out, um, you know, I, I just thought it would be really cool to connect you with Spike uh, for a, a conversation. Nobody's been on the front lines more than he has uh, throughout this experience. And, and, you know, it's funny, like, to think of you as one of the patrons in the room, you know, at times representing probably one eighth of the audience, right? Um, yeah. So, so I, I thought the two of you could get to some really good places in conversation. That sounds good, man. We had a ball and uh, let's, let's uh, get some words from Spike Wilner. One thing that I had done the previous year was create a not-for-profit arts foundation that I call the Smalls Live Foundation. And uh, I never did much with it, except that my idea was that it could somehow subsidize projects for artists. And uh, but when COVID hit us, then it became clear how important that was going to become to us. And we started to fundraise with the objective of two objectives, one to uh, maintain our clubs until uh, we were able to operate again. Mm -hmm. That is to say, you know, pay the bills. And the other was to maintain a roster of performing artists who would play every day, even if it was just one concert, to an empty club. And that became our <clears throat> Get the Cats Working Again uh, initiative. And it was basically our idea was that we would pay a band every single day to play a live show in our club, even if it was closed. And um, one of the very first benefactors of the club was Billy Joel, the wow. rock star. Wow. And that happened um, about mid-May. I was in the Poconos. There were two people that really inspired me at that time. One was Wynton Marsalis, who called me in the middle of the night in April and said, Spike, we got to get to work on helping the cats. Mm. And that kind of snapped me out of my reverie because I was very depressed, actually, by the whole thing. I couldn't really deal with it. But yeah. Wynton kind of brought, brought me to attention. And then the second thing was uh, that uh, Peter Watrous, my old friend from the New York Times, said that uh, he had heard that Billy Joel might be interested in putting some money in and help a club. And he suggested Smalls and Billy liked that idea. And he asked that I write a letter. I wrote a letter to Billy. And man, sure enough, about a week later, he gave us $25,000. Wow. Wow. Man, and that's you know, awesome. I, you know, I never met Billy Joel personally, although I've always been a fan of his music. But I also know from musicians that know him and work with him that he's a real musician's musician. But what we decided to do with that money was to pay one band a, a day until the money ran out. That, and that was really the beginning of our Get the Cats Working. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and so I remember the very first concert was on June 1st, in fact, with Joe Farnsworth and Jeremy Pell, Peter Bernstein, yeah. and uh, God who's bass, uh, might have been uh, Peter Washington. And I remember that we were all very nervous because no one had done anything like this yet. The, the, no one was really live streaming. And, and we uh, just, you know, we, we came online and you could feel people were so happy because they really, everyone was in the same boat, kind of alone in their house, nervous yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And we came online and man, it was an amazing response. And we really, no one knew what was going to happen, but it started our daily broadcast which we did now the response was really great i have to say and the community of international community of people who love jazz love smalls and what we have in new york city uh contributed enough for us to basically maintain our clubs through the pandemic and to maintain a skeleton uh crew that would attend to the business and to pay a band every day to perform and some special uh you know grants to musicians who were really in need there were quite a few musicians that came to me that literally couldn't buy groceries or something to that effect and we yeah. would give them some help from our foundation and so it just became this uh very effective tool yeah yeah man that's fantastic once the bars started to operate again, that is to say we were to, because we had a lot of problems with the, the, the city itself and a particularly uh, angry people that reported us to the state liquor authority. And it was a lot of issues that are still yet to be resolved. But we did, I certainly learned a lot about what it means to have a not-for-profit and what, what the, the responsibilities of that are. Mm -hmm. But we're not allowed to basically finance an open bar from a not-for-profit you know when it was closed and we were using it to show shows down there was fine but as soon as we actually became open to the public that became not correct so we immediately had to stop our funding for the for the bands mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that subsequently put us in a position now where we're going to create a new project for the use of the money which we call the smalls live living master series where we're choosing about six musicians who criterion being over the age of 65 and have a significant career in jazz and also have a part in smalls or mesro and we're going to give them a ten thousand dollar cash prize plus a, a recording of their project that would be released under our joint uh, cooperation with the seller so it's an exciting new use for the money now that the clubs are back and running and operational again absolutely absolutely when will the um do you know when the first series will will happen with this new uh undertaking with the masters uh concerts yes, i'll give you some of the names of the masters we've chosen for this award oh and i should mention that each of these projects is also going to be produced by a selected member from the artists in other words when we do the recording there'll be someone that the artist himself wants to produce the project by Mm -hmm. uh, using tracks and da 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 da. So uh, the first project is going to be Marshall Allen from the uh -huh. Sunrise. All right. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you know him, he's in his mid to late nineties. Mm -hmm. Now this man is a force of nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tyler Mitchell, the bassist who's worked with him for years, is going to be the producer on that. We're going to award him the ten thousand dollars Smalls Live prize, plus do a nice recording of his show getting that out to Corey Weeds at the cellar and having that released first. Mm -hmm. uh, the other uh, awardees that so far that we've notified has been uh, Sheila Jordan, 
Fantastic. Who's going to do something with Alan Broadbent as the producer and that group. And then uh, Kirk Lightsey, who uh, we're going to fly in from uh, Europe to do his recording and also get the award. And then uh, the other candidate that we just announced is going to be Victor Lewis and his group. That's awesome, man. And wow. we still have we still have a few more to announce, but I haven't talked to them yet, so I don't want to say it publicly. But those sure. are the ones that are all know about it, and uh, it's a great position to be in, man. We we raise so much money that yeah. we really literally have money to give away, and that is the duty of a not for profit. Actually, is to to give the money away. So since we can't use it for club expenses directly, mm-hmm. we'll just give it to the artists that we think have significant impact and try yeah. to change, give their lives a little boost as well. Man, that's that's really awesome and exciting. Yeah, I'll be watching and I'll be in the house for 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 most of and those. I'd say that's a positive uh, development from the COVID because mm-hmm. if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be in a position to do anything like this. That's right. That's right, man. I I have to ask you too about um your musicianship in in this period. One of the shows that I've gotten to see during this break was you at yeah. Mesro when it um reopen uh the first time and tyler mitchell the great bassist with you as well as uh, the aforementioned uh joe farnsworth but man how have you been over over this thing have you have you wanted to practice have you have you had that impetus to be musical kind of how are you seeing things as as a musician and feeling things out well what i feel is that uh during the beginning of covid uh practicing became a daily uh refuge for me where I could just get to the piano for a few hours if I had it or an hour even. You know, uh, I've gotten to a point in my life where I've played jazz since I was, you know, in my teenage years and practiced diligently throughout that time. And uh, I've been around so many great musicians in my life and everyone is so great in New York. Um, I've just discovered for myself that the purest jazz expression that I can have for myself is when I can be completely spontaneous without any real predetermined anything. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means just playing the most familiar stuff, you know, so you don't have any worries. You could just go right into some excursion. Um, other guys take a lot of time to be super detailed or in their playing and stuff. So uh, I find that the more that I'm relaxed in my mindset, the more I can go to that place where I can just play whatever comes to mind. And I've stopped really caring about whether people like it or not, or whether I'm going to have a great career or anything like that. I mean, I'm at the age now where I don't think it It doesn't matter anymore. None of it does. So I just have to just enjoy playing. And, And sometimes I'm depressed. I don't feel like touching the piano. And that's when I get nervous because I realize if I start losing my connection with the music, then I start, you know, tiptoeing into madness honestly you know so the only other thing at this stage in my life now is like i became a father a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh, i'm finding that experience to be the most edifying of my life so like even if i didn't have jazz clubs or music or anything just being with my my baby is great you know so yeah. there's a lot of different facets to life and uh music has always been the most important till just recently and now it's my little girl but it's like piano to me is like having a grown-up son or something like I know some of my friends my age have grown-up kids already and I feel like my piano playing has gotten to that like it's a it's an adult I don't need to attend to it every day I don't have to coddle it anymore I don't have to even worry if it's getting fed or anything it's totally taking care of itself and when I need it it's there for me without any hesitation and so maybe I'm just lazy but 
that's where I feel about music is it's like I've I've put a lot of work into it and it's grown up and now it is what it is. Yeah. And if people like it, it's great. My my hope when I play is that people are somehow touched or you know take something from it a positive. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. My problem is I'm you know I'm an egomaniac and uh, I'm always worried about <laughs> this and that. And I if I could just settle down there, I'd be a lot happier. Well, man, uh, the the Jazz Week charts bear witness that uh, people are digging this project, man, and the success that you've talked about here and shared with us uh, seem to be uh, building blocks and architecture for come what may, knock on wood, if we have to shut down again, you guys are already established and in place. So kudos and congratulations to you, man, and I hope to see you at the club. Yeah, please come by Smalls anytime. Remember our website, smallslive.com. Signing up is free. Anybody that wants to check out the live streams for no charge. And uh, that's it. Right on, man. Thank you, Spike. Thanks so much, man. Thank you very much. An illuminating conversation between Spike Wilner and our own Greg Bryant. Greg, thank you for that, man. Well, thank you for the contact. It was awesome to speak to Spike. And man, Jazz United is just more of an opportunity for us to really get to the people that are making the music happen. You know, I don't think we've properly mentioned here that as host of Jazz After Hours at WBGO, you have a recurring feature called In the Club. Um, you know, we, we've kind of talked around that fact, um, but I, I want to take a moment to give a proper shout out to you for that feature, because so much of this music thrives and survives and is communicated through live recordings. And, um, and I, you know, every week I get to see the selections you make and man, it's, it's such a, it's such a cool sampling of stuff. I mean, Wow, uh, thank you. My my hat's off to you. And you know, if you are listening to Jazz United and you're and you enjoy hearing Greg behind the mic in this context, trust me, uh you will really enjoy in the club and everything else on Jazz After Hours. Hey man, as long as I can put that in my bio, we're good, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um this is the moment now in our podcast when we when we talk about stuff that we're digging and of course uh in a little shout out to uh, our man hank mobley mm-hmm. uh, we had to call it this i dig so right. what are what are we digging this week greg oh wow well um first of all i want to shout out uh roy brooks um the spirit uh... of roy brooks because uh man i knew but i didn't know and folks uh-huh. what i'm talking about is understanding the uh, three disc set um, that was uh, brought across our desks a couple of weeks back. We actually talked about it a little bit on our uh, Instagram live um, in Hudson Valley vinyl, but Mm -hmm. man, I I had only heard a snippet at that time and was bowled over by the little bit that I heard, but man, this past weekend, I got to dive all the way in, man. And I'm going to say this, um, my front runners for reissue of the year 2021 um, is this and what we're going to talk about next week. And I won't spoil it right now, not next week, but next episode. But man, folks, Roy Brooks, understanding, get it any way you can. You've never heard <laughs> live jazz 
like this. Oh man. So, so it probably will come as no surprise to either of us that I picked the exact same thing. Whoa. All right. Uh, And I had the thought as I was, I was like, I'm going to have to talk about Roy Brooks, man. Yeah. And then I had the thought, I wonder if Greg's going to come with the same idea. Yeah. So, so here's what I'll do. I'm going to call a bit of an audible here. Mm -hmm. Um, Greg, you've already, you've already said everything that I feel about this, about this, uh, reissue. It's not a reissue, really. It's a, it's that's a, right. It's an unearthed new recording of a, of a historic, that's uh, right. You know, 1970 performance. So, um, so you've already, uh, wet the appetite for that. And I mm-hmm. agree wholeheartedly. So I'm going to endorse an article about the album. Okay. Um, this was written by my good friend Brad Farberman. I mm. believe it is his first byline in the New York Times. Um, Congrats, and so I, I want to congratulate Brad for that. Yeah. And I also just want to commend him for a really great survey of, of who, who Roy Brooks was and what this recording means. Yeah. Um, in this article, uh, Brad talked to uh, Roy's son. Um, he talked to uh, producer Zev Feldman. Uh, and he talked to um, uh, Cecil McBee, as well as um, the the great uh, Detroit-based jazz critic Mark Stryker, who mm. uh, wrote the incredible liner notes, uh, which will be um, part B of my endorsement. <laughs> so, okay. so, okay. so in addition to digging Roy Brooks' understanding, we have been digging Mark Stryker's liner notes and Brad Farberman's article. So it's mm. it's just a Roy Brooks bonanza in this I dig this week. Folks, get it, get it, get it. I just can't recommend it enough. Um, You will be bowled over in the best way. Um, This is, (laughs) this is like a Mack truck just taking you out in the, in the best possible way. I can't stress it enough. This is good, good listening. Speaking of good listening, we are very happy that you have hung with us here at Jazz United. This show is a production of WBGO Studios. Our producer, as we've said, is Trevor Smith. And Jazz United comes to you from WBGO, Newark Public Radio. And we ask that if you have been digging us, if you have been digging what Greg plays on the air or what I've been writing for WBGO.org, support WBGO. It's not hard to do. Go to WBGO.org slash support. um, And what you give to the station not only supports us, it supports uh, incredible work being done by our colleagues like Kiana Faircloth and mm-hmm. Simon Rentner and Gary Walker and so many others. So uh, please show your love. Absolutely, folks. And if you've not yet subscribed to Jazz United, uh, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at WBGO.org. And remember, next time we've got a great one. We've uh, kind of previewed it, but I'll say it again. The Completely Morgan live at the Lighthouse. We're going to have that conversation about this new unearthed set that is uh, the talk of the town in the best possible way. Can't wait. See you next time, folks. 